Well, we come to the end of the, to the, of the epistle to Philemon. It has been a needed study in our current cultural context because it demonstrates that in the church, the distinctions of the world do not apply. The gospel transforms relationships. The gospel restores broken relationships. As Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 and 17, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, Paul writes in Galatians 3:27 and 29, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's give our attention, therefore, to Paul's closing words to Philemon and the church that met in his house. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, uh, uh, Philemon is a fascinating book. Uh, Some have dealt uh, with it in depth. Um, Others have been more, um, did more of an overview, like me. Um, But it is a blessing to us to in fact, it's a challenge to us to be what, what we're called to be in the gospel. And uh, we pray that uh, as we think about Philemon, we will think about how we look at others in the church and even others outside the church. We pray that you would help us as we think through this last portion of Paul's epistle um, where he reveals his confidence Not confidence in himself, not confidence in Philemon, but confidence in you working through the Spirit, through the gospel of grace. Our God, we pray you would bless our time together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, first of all, Paul writes with confidence in Philemon's obedience. We note in verse 21 that he is confident of uh, Philemon's obedience. Well, what is his confidence based upon? Well, he's confident that Philemon will obey the dictates of the gospel. Paul is confident that Philemon will forgive Onesimus. And he's, he, he is confident, not because there's something special about Philemon... He's confident because there's something powerful about the gospel of God's grace. And so he can write, for example, to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And what is the standard as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Beloved, living out the truth of the gospel is not easy. We must take up the cross daily. We must die to ourselves. 
die to our own will to do things our way. And Philemon must do that too. According to Paul, Philemon suffered loss, or at least the, there was some thought that he might have suffered loss. Uh, Onesimus was his slave. How he ended up with Paul is anyone's guess, but in the providence of God, Onesimus ends up with Paul, and he's converted by, through the preaching of the gospel by Paul. But that doesn't mean that Philemon didn't suffer loss. And Paul says, if he, if he's, if he lost anything, um, I will repay it. Did, did Philemon lose something? Yes. If anything, he lost the time and the skills that Onesimus had serving him. And so he would be in debt to Onesimus. But what does Paul say? I mean to Philemon. But what does Paul say? He says, I will repay it. And then notice this little phrase that he adds on there. He says, by the way, uh, don't forget, Philemon, you owe me your very self. Now, was Paul trying to manipulate him? And I don't believe that he was. Paul was applying the truth of the gospel. What is more significant, money or eternal life? Paul is asking Philemon to consider the eternal weight of the death of the debt that we all owe to Christ and therefore to live out the reality of that debt that Christ paid for us. So if so Paul is really reflecting Christ here. If he owes you anything, I will repay it. Well, why does he do that? Because Paul's living up he's living up the dictates of the gospel. Christ took our debt on his shoulders, so now the minimal debt that we owe one another, can't we take that on our shoulders too? Cannot we, can we not be like Christ? And that's what Paul is using. He's not manipulating him. He's just bringing to Philemon's attention the details of the gospel that call him to forgive Onesimus Paul's applying the gospel principle that he wrote about in, to the Corinthians. He said in Corinthians, as he's talking about slaves and people should remain in the calling that they have, he said, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So Paul is saying, listen, the relationship that you had with, with Onesimus According to the society around us is the master-slave relationship. But in Christ, all of that's turned upside down. Because he who was a slave is now freed in Christ. And you who are a master are now a slave in Christ. So, live that out. He appeals. Notice, Paul appeals. He doesn't command. He says, I'm bold enough to, in Christ to command you to do what not what's required so much as what's the best thing. I'm bold enough to command you, but I, I prefer, prefer rather to appeal to you. Appeal to him on what grounds? Well, he's heard about Philemon. He's heard about his love and the faith that he has in the Lord towards everybody around him. Well, now, you know, Philemon, you've got to include Onesimus in that. You love all the people that you're, that you're there with in your house church, but you've got to extend that now to, to Onesimus. 
He says, I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. Well, now that includes Onesimus. He says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love in verse 7. My brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Well, if that's been true of the past, it's true of the present. And now I'm saying it's going to have to be true of the future. You're going to have to refresh Onesimus as well. So it's an appeal. He appeals to Philemon based on the gospel life that he has already been living. So therefore, because of that, Paul is confident. He says, I'm confident of your obedience. I'm confident that you will restore Onesimus. And he's confident that Philemon will do even more. Now, some people believe that what, when Paul says that, that he's going to do even, even more. Um, he, uh, knowing that you will do even more, verse 21... Some people, the commentaries I've read, they think what Paul is alluding to here is that the fact that he wants Onesimus to be restored to him. He already said, I'd like to have him serve with me in the ministry. So some commentators believe, and maybe they're right, Paul here is is thinking about Onesimus returning and being part of the gospel ministry that he has. He says, I'd be glad to keep him with me, but he wasn't going to do that without Philemon's permission. So he's confident, he's confident that Philemon will do not just what he's requested, restore Onesimus, but even more than that. Did that include returning Onesimus to Paul? Maybe. Because what does the gospel imply? What does the gospel life call us to do? Those are good questions to think as we think through this. He has confidence also based on the fact that the gospel transforms life. Paul knew that there was sin in him. He wrote to the Romans that every time he tried to do good, you know, there was there he found a law uh, that waged against him. He said, "I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." So Paul knew of sin. I mean, Paul wasn't sinless. But he attributes the overcoming of these things to the grace of God. And he has confidence, not in Philemon as a man, standing as it is by himself, but in the, he has confidence in the gospel of God's grace. Paul would say to the Corinthians, speaking in another context, I am what I am by grace. 1 Corinthians 15.9 He says, I labored more than all of them, more than all the other apostles. He said that. You know, I did more than everybody. Yet, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So as Paul is confident that Philemon is going to be obedient, not because of Philemon, but because of the the power of the grace of God in the gospel. God changes Christians by grace. Being saved by grace is not one momentary reality. Salvation from the guilt and penalty of sin, yes, is a one-time occurrence. Well, not really. It's constantly occurring because we're constantly confessing. But with that grace... 
And salvation from the guilt and penalty of sin comes the grace through faith which results in salvation from the power of sin which comes, we are overcome that by the grace of God. So we're struggling, as Paul says in Romans 7. We have the, the, you know, there's a law in our members that every time we want to do right, we do something wrong. How do we overcome that? Wretched man that I am. How, who will deliver me from this body of death? Well, it's God through Christ, the Holy Spirit working in us that delivers us. And Paul has confidence in Philemon's obe- obedience, not based on Philemon himself, but upon the God who changes people through the gospel of grace. Well, then secondly, Paul writes with hope in Philemon's prayers. He's confident that Philemon prays for his release. And he says, I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Now, when Paul says he hopes, he means more than just some kind of shallow hope like we sometimes have. I hope I go... I get to go for ice cream tomorrow. You know, well, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but that's, you know, there's no guarantee in that. That's, sometimes that's how we use hope. But in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, hope is something more certain. It's something that we can have confidence in. And so when Paul talks about prayer, he's talking about God's means of grace for us to request those things that are according to His will and for His glory. So in in the Sum of Saving Knowledge, Head 1, we read about the outward means and ordinances for making men partakers of the covenant of grace. And what are they? These are especially four. The Word of God, number one. The sacraments, number two. The church government, number three. And four, prayer. By prayer he will have his own glorious grace promised in the covenant to be daily drawn forth, acknowledged and employed. So when, when Philemon prays, Paul believes that God will work on the basis of those prayers. That's a means of God's grace. So Paul is confident and biblical hope, as I said, is, is not like our concept of hope. Our hopes are usually short-lived, but Paul's hopes were always for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. In the same way, our hope is fixed on Christ who will not let us down. We may have hopes about a promotion at work or a college that we would like to attend. That kind of hope is fixed on something in this world and therefore may not be fulfilled. However, the Christian's hope is fixed on Christ. It is fixed on God's glory. Hope that's fixed on that is not uncertain. Therefore, Paul could write to the Romans, and not only the whole creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope... We were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, but he who hopes for what for he who hopes for what he for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, what do we do? We await for it with patience. We await for it because we know there's gonna, it's gonna come. Now, as Paul writes to Philemon, what does he mean? I hope to be delivered through your prayers. Okay, well. Paul can be delivered from the prison he's in through the prayers of Philemon. But through the prayers of Philemon, God may also deliver Paul through death. Either way, he's delivered, is he not? 
Now, it may not be delivered the way that Paul thinks at the time. It may not be delivered by the way that Philemon thinks at the time. But Paul is going to be delivered. His hope is confident because of what Christ has done. So he hopes that Philemon's prayers will be answered. Paul's hope is in the God who answers prayer. When Paul asks for prayer, he does so from the perspective of a man intention. There's a tension in Paul's life. He writes about that in Philippians. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. Again, he's in prison. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Either one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So convinced of that, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. It's from that perspective that Paul speaks to Philemon and writes to him with such confidence. Paul's desire is to depart and be with Christ wherever, wherever he was in prison. And that was true for the Philippians, and it's true for Philemon, it's true for Colossians. Paul had this struggle within himself. You know, what shall I choose? You know, I, I would rather be with the Lord, but to be here is more useful for your sake. And so his prayers to be delivered were not for his own sake, so he could go out and get a hamburger or something. His, his prayers for deliverance were not so that he could, you know, be free to go wherever he wanted. His prayers for deliverance were for the better of the, for the furtherance of the work of the ministry, for the church, for your sake. I would rather, you know, I would rather depart and be with Christ. That was his view. That was better. Well, that's the same kind of idea that feeds Paul's words to Philemon when he says, I am confident in your prayers that, that God will answer them. In fact, he's so confident, as a matter of fact, that he asks him to prepare a room for him. You know, because I plan to come and visit you. He's really confident that, God, that God's going to answer that prayer. So it's not just some vacuous hope. It's a hope and the reality that God works by His grace, to His purpose and His end, for His glory, for Paul's good, but, also, but, but for the church's good as well. That's his confidence. Well then finally Paul writes with confidence in God's grace. So Paul's a confident pastor. He's writing and he's expressing his confidence to Philemon and he's confident in God's grace he opens the letter with a commendation of grace and peace grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ he closes the letter with a prayer request that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit in fact we could translate that may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit so it's, it's, he's vocalizing a request that he has to God. 
Well, grace begins the letter, grace ends the letter. Now we read over that stuff and we don't think too much about it. But as G.K. Beale in his commentary mentions, or he states, the significance of this inclusion, it's an inclusio, it begins with grace, it ends with grace. The significance of that inclusion is clear. All that Paul says in the letter and all that he exhorts and commands them, and especially Philemon, can be believed and obeyed only by grace. End quote. So Paul is confident in God's grace. He begins with God's grace, he ends with God's grace. The the letter is about being gracious and God's grace working in the lives of Philemon and the church. So he appeals to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, seeking a response of grace. What does that look like? Well, it's forgiveness and restoration. They are works of grace. We are forgiven in Christ... In our trespasses, we're forgiven of them according to the riches of God's grace. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. We look at other people now. How do we look at them? No longer according to the flesh. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, and we have to treat him as a new creation. If God is working in us by grace, then we're going to be working in the lives of others by the power of that grace, and we're going to be gracious. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Well, if that's true, then we are ambassadors for Christ. We appeal, and that's what he's doing to Philemon. He's appealing Philemon. Philemon, understand the grace of God here. Understand how that God's grace should be made effective in your life as you work with Onesimus. Forgive him, restore him. Take him back, no longer as a servant only, but as a brother in Christ, a beloved brother in Christ. And then he closes his prayer with grace. And he sends him greetings from those who labor in the ministry of grace. And it's interesting, it's not the only place, but in this closing remarks, Paul mentions Mark. Now I pick up on the name Mark. Not, I'm not saying that Paul mentions Mark for the purpose I'm going to lay before you. But knowing about Mark... And knowing what happened between he and Paul gives us an illustration of what I believe Paul wants Philemon to do. You will recall that Barnabas and Paul had a serious division over Mark. Remember when they went on their second missionary journey, as it's called? Um, Paul, Barnabas wanted to take Paul with them. Uh, he wanted to take Mark with him. John called Mark. Um, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had, had not gone on with them to the work. Now, why did Mark decide to leave the gospel ministry of Paul and Barnabas after Pamphylia? What happened? He seemed to be zealous enough to begin with Uh, But something happened. Now, no one knows for sure. Again, you're speculating some. 
But I think a good speculation that I read about was that Mark struggled because Mark is a Jew, right? He's from Jerusalem. Mark struggled with the idea of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And so when they got to Pamphylia, he couldn't deal with it anymore, and he left. And so they split company, and there was a sharp disagreement, and they separated from each other. But Barnabas, who is the son of encouragement, that's what his name means, he takes Mark with him, and Paul takes Silas, and they go on to that missionary endeavor. Well, later on, some point, we don't know where or when or how, Mark is restored to Paul. And so, as Paul's writing to the Colossians, he puts these words in there about Mark in Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. He writes to Timothy, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Something happened. Something changed. And Paul and Mark are restored. And it's an illustration, I believe. It's almost as if mentioning Mark drives home the point of Paul's epistle to Philemon. You see, one who had abandoned Paul became useful to him. One who had been useless before to him because he left became useful to him sometime later in the ministry. So Mark is a real good illustration for what he's making appeal to Philemon about. So Onesimus needs to be restored. And Mark is a good example of how Philemon should act toward his departed slave Onesimus. Well, and in conclusion, as a pastor with Paul, I have confidence that when we hear the word of God, we, like Philemon, will obey, not out of compulsion, but from a heart changed by grace. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect. That doesn't mean we'll obey everything that the word of God says. No, we're going to struggle the rest of our lives. But I believe that God, by his grace, changes our hearts. And because he does, we have confidence to, to believe that, that we will become more and more like Christ and more and more obedient to God. And I too, with Paul, have confidence that we pray for one another. Now, personally, I need to be challenged more in the matter of prayer. You know, it's easy to get so focused on the study of God's Word that I, I forget the need that I have to pray. I mean, it really is, you know? And then finally, with Paul, I am confident in God's grace. We are what we are by grace. No matter how obedient we are, no matter how prayerful we are, we must always remember that we are what we are by grace. God is working in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. And He will complete His work. As Paul was confident in, in God's work in the Philippian church, so Paul is confident in God's work in Philemon and the church in his house. So I too am confident because... I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Our God in heaven, we do give you thanks for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for the book of Philemon. May we live in light of it each day, accepting one another and accepting those who are not part of us right now at this time. Accepting others who might be struggling with something, helping them, helping to restore them, telling them of the grace of God, letting them see the grace of God in our lives. Our God, we pray that we, like Philemon, would be obedient to Your Word, and that we would glorify You by our acts, by our thoughts, by our love for one another. Father, we ask You this through Christ our Lord. Amen.